So you'll be pleased to know that Nancy Delolio has been asked to write an essay to provide her thoughts on who she thinks is going to win and who she is supporting in today's final. Obviously, Nancy Delolio exists as the primo icon straddling the two worlds that we're going to encounter today. In many ways, la bella donna, the ultimate Italian, but also, of course, a true English icon who has delighted us for many years. The self-described first lady of Baden-Baden, which I think is quite a tall title for someone who was in Baden-Baden going toe-to-toe with Cheryl, then Tweedy Cole. Yeah. And Victoria in peak British Bulldog vest, large VB, reflective aviator shades. Yeah. And like seven kilos of hair extension. <laughs> but she, thank God, has blessed us with her verdict. She does think England are going to edge it slightly. Which I thought was promising. But this Ooh. unfortunately did then give way to quite a long piece of commentary on the similarities between Sven Goran Eriksson and Gareth Southgate, which immediately made me nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that was what Gareth Southgate was looking for at all. Um, she said that both Sven and Gareth have the same air of elegance Ooh. on the touchline. Interesting. So as in, are they kind of, you know, cool cucumbers, that sort of thing? Do they dress similarly? I think it must be a commanding figure in a suit, not losing their cool, being very kind of commanding at a distance. Mm-hmm. I... I mean, heterosexuality, I think, is finding Sven Goran Eriksson attractive. <laughs> <laughs> I think he looks like um, uh, the one in Gossip Girl who played himself, um, who helped Jenny get into Parsons. Tim Gunn. Tim Gunn, that's it, from Project, Project Runway. Runway's Tim Gunn. I think he looks like Tim Gunn. He... He's a haunting figure. He kind of looks like a stalk made out of butter. Oh my god! I haven't heard any of his commentaries, so Nancy's comments, I think, stand. They carry the most weight. She does see herself as a winner, whatever the outcome, which she's thrilled about. She will be watching in Puglia. She also mentioned that she's now an ambassador for Puglia, so... We're giving her some free airtime here, which is, I think, exactly why she wrote the article. But visit Puglia. Maybe you could run into Nancy Del Olio and ask her for more of her footballing opinions. She is going to have some hot takes, I think. I think we shouldn't only ask her about football. You know, maybe we should ask her about Israel-Palestine. Has or... she written a book? I would really take... I would sit down and spend an hour or two with the Nancy Del Olio Guide to Life. She must have written a book. She, she, she's definitely written a book. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look this up now. Good plan. Do you think it's a legal book that she's written? Because she's a lawyer. No, she's a lawyer. She's a lawyer. God, I didn't know that. She is a woman with a career. Wow. Oh my god. She stole our title. Oh my god. The name of her book is My Beautiful Game. <gasps> oh. 
was who bought that copyright. Oh my god. This is incredible. So it came out in 2007. Wow, just after Baden Baden. So it's clearly very based around, oh my god, this synopsis is incredible. She is also a proud European, a Catholic, a Jew, and a true internationalist. She sounds confused. <laughs> she, she sounds very confused. A Catholic and a Jew. Remember that scarlet catsuit entrance to Downing Street and all those classic red carpet moments? Nancy is just at home in combat jacket and fatigues on the streets of Ramallah as lunching at Claridge's. No! <laughs> the streets of Ramallah! Well, clearly we should get her to do Israel-Palestine. Yeah, I I think she would be a real ultimate get for the podcast. I think she would. Nancy, if you're listening, please come on the podcast. Welcome to 110% on this day of the final. It's uh, England and Italy. Kickoff is in a few hours. <laughs> Nine hours and 45 minutes. <laughs> By the time this episode comes out, it will probably be down to six hours. But I will say there is no better way to spend your six hours than repeat listening to our coverage of the quarterfinals and semifinals because there's so much to catch up on. There is so much. And each of those games were incredible to watch. What was your favourite out of all of them? I think I I did really enjoy the England-Ukraine game. Mm. I think that was the first game that I felt very excited watching England because I had kind of assumed that if we were going to get to the final, it would be through those kinds of games that we saw in the group stages. So like tense, nil-nil, one-nil, a little bit cagey, missing chances. I mean, we did revert to this in the match against Denmark, but to win so decisively over a team that I think we we outplayed. It wasn't a walkover. No. I think that was that was very exciting and that was when I started getting really optimistic and oh. excited about England, which is always a real death knell for me. <laughs> I hate it. This is why every tournament I try and support someone who isn't <laughs> England because Honestly, it's such a misery to support England. (laughs) (laughs) And now I'm part of that misery. And yeah, so I am looking forward to to tonight. I really enjoyed the Spain-Switzerland match as well. Mm -hmm. Because it was sort of basket case Olympics. Every chance was missed. Switzerland missed having... Jacka so much I think which we touched on in our last episode and then it was just kind of a like who can be worse at doing the penalties and Spain was less worse and then they went through (laughs) (laughs) so so that was the kind of that was a kind of interesting kind of 
tension-filled mm. game kind of different, I think, to the way that I was just describing England, even though it does sound mm. scarily similar. Scarily similar. What was your favourite match of the past two stages? Oh, so I think... I, I think... Well, I think my least favourite match, actually, was... Um, Italy Spain mm-hmm. um the semi-final because it was so I f- I felt like the rhythm of the game was kind of interrupted well it, it wasn't actually interrupted as in the rhythm of the game was very off because sort of there were so many points where it could have been a goal and then we were all sort of let down and then it obviously ran on to penalties, which were sort of, I think the the most brilliant moment was obviously Jorginho's final penalty, um, which was, you know, we talked about how arrogant it was, but how amazing to watch. He is just a bastard. He He is a bloodless (laughs) bastard. I would love to be treated with derision by him. I think he would do it so well. He would just dismiss you just by not even kind of meeting your gaze and still Mm. be super charming. He's an assassin. He is incredible and obviously a nice Chelsea boy. Um, And so we have a lot of love for Jorginho um, on the podcast, but he is ruthless. God bless that woman on The Voice who has as her two babies' fathers, Jude Law and Jorginho. My God. Who is it on The she, Voice? She's called she's called Kat or Katerina and she was on The Voice as a contestant. I don't even think she won. Oh, wow. But she won. <laughs> she won. I yeah that match was really interesting because I think it was a bit of a reassuring watch I think ahead of today Italy were the weakest that they have looked all tournament and Spain could have beaten them that would have pissed me off because Mm. I don't think Spain cumulatively performed well enough to have earned their place in the final if that was how it worked (laughs) so it was more satisfying to the narrative that Italy won but they looked shaky they looked playable and pick apartable but there was still that kind of consistent creativity that I think will freak us out today right another unsatisfying match I will say England Denmark (laughs) oof just because it was so fantastic, I think, to see us very much outplay Denmark as well. They, we just have the squad depth that I don't think any other team in the competition has. And that was kind of evident as we were making our substitutions and just bringing on sort of more and more quality players. There were so many chances and most of them were missed. <laughs> but obviously it couldn't be a miserable English victory without all of these contentious moments that were created, which mean that 
you know, you never get to have any pure joy. It's basically the same as 66. And every time any football commentator alludes to either 96 or 66, you have to... um, you have to pick up a gun and play Russian roulette as you listen to this (laughs) podcast. Um, But it is that, you know, like we said, the, our third goal in the World Cup final was contentious. I think in the VAR days, it would be plainly not given. But it was given by the Soviet Union referee who, whose team had been booted out by the West Germans in the (laughs) semi-finals, wanting Ah. his revenge um and if it meant giving it to the imperialists then <laughs> then he would do that um <laughs> god bless that Azerbaijani. but it um for the penalty to be given and the issue with the laser pointers and the and and someone was like oh isn't it awful that they booed the Danish national anthem. I was like, well, yes, A. B, there has not been a national anthem yet that has gone unbooed in any country. Unfortunately, the people who go to football matches are animals. <laughs> That's uh, exactly and That's it's the name of the game. Yeah. Everyone should be fine for booing national anthems. But it did kind of come together into this... Mm extra layer I guess of um, of discontent for our opponents and those we've beaten in the past and those mm. who are upset that we've left the EU to um, to really um, cast over today's match exactly and not only them but also the other the other home nations um, you know Scotland and Wales um, I haven't seen much from Northern Ireland maybe they're keeping quiet but um Certainly the Scottish and Welsh fans um, are desperate for Italy to win. I know, which I... Okay, uh, I, I get it, I guess, I, I get it, I sure. Know, but I don't like it. If Wales got to the final... I'd I be cheering for them. Wales. Yeah, but of we're course. the so. Ah, I see. That's... <laughs> That's you where idiot. it yeah. <laughs> benevolently the exactly. dictators would cheer for the little, the little oh, parasite, well the barnacle of England. Sir Gareth Bale, well done. But I, I, I really would. I it just wouldn't occur to me, um, particularly when there are so many nasty things you can say about Italy. Exactly. <laughs> and we will be getting into that yeah. in part two. No, but I, I, it just is so. It's funny. It's kind of... I I kind of hate it. I actually really hate it. And I know I'm not meant to hate it. Or I'm not meant to care. Um, But I actually do. (laughs) No, it's revenge. I'm afraid it's revenge for Braveheart. For um, Mary, Queen of Scots. Exactly. For Bannockburn. What did we do to the Welsh? Oh, quite a lot. Um, Name one thing. Uh, sort of tricked them into making the um, eldest son of every monarch the Prince of Wales and not letting them choose their own. That was in the 13th century though, so maybe they'd gotten over that by maybe now. Maybe they could just chill out, okay? <laughs> and just support England, just for fun. Just this one time. Just so, you know, if they wanted to 
you know, take a take a trip into England next week. They could they could feel happy instead of bitterest rancor. But um, yes, it's quite interesting having um, the rest of the world just decide to support anyone but England. It's something I was prepared for, mm. and I think something that you just kind of have to. You have to you have to take it. Exactly. You have to take it because of Brexit and colonialism. Exactly. And all the times that we've done a racism in other countries going to watch football matches and sung ten German bombers and yeah. all of the bad stuff. So we just have to graciously graciously accept, accept the general despising from the rest of the world. So one of the things that made me laugh the most, um, there is the Spanish TV show. I would die to be on it. I would die. I would practice my Spanish (laughs) or request a translator. I would do anything to be on this show. If anyone has the connection, please let me know because I feel like this TV show was really invented for me to be on because it's the most histrionic nightly football after hours television show <gasps> where everything is taken very seriously and extremely operatic it's called El Chiringuito and it's also I think it's god I'm really making stuff up but I think it's Madrid based I think it does have like a kind of bias well it will have a legal bias of course but I think it also might have like a sort of Madrilenia Real Madrid oh. bias um, they were the ones if anyone saw the memes going around after Real Madrid lost to Chelsea in the Champions League semi-final and there were all of these pictures of Hazard sort of having a laugh with like old teammates after the team has just been kind of summarily dumped out by a bunch of children strung together by a manager who only joined about two months before and El Guito reacted so badly. They were like, he shouldn't be paid. He should be cast out of the team. This is the most disgraceful thing we've ever seen. And there was just this amazing, like, moody, like, boom, boom, music in the background. <laughs> <laughs> so, just amping up the drama. So it's already totally histrionic. Um, so amusing in that so hyper-historical way. And they had a whole episode devoted to how this is a conspiracy theory for England to win and how everything has been architected for England to win a country that isn't even in the EU I was like it's not the Euros (laughs) like I mean Azerbaijan's not even in Europe and half the games have been played there exactly and only 10% of Turkey I was about to is say in Europe. Tell me about Turkey. Yeah. Tell me about why th- I, that country is. Turkey's not part of the EU, is it? Absolutely not. Well, maybe they could have won instead. Exactly. Exactly. Maybe if the they hadn't Euro. been so shite, they could have. They could have won. It would have. They could have been in on the conspiracy too. Um, exactly. And they yes, they go into overtures about how it is you know morally reprehensible that a country who left the eu should be allowed to win oh my god the euros and one of the other things they discussed was the home advantage let's Mm. not read too much into the fact that a nation hasn't 
a home nation, I should say, hasn't won a major tournament for 33 years. Let's let's gloss over that. Um, but as unfair as the home advantage was, and I, I think we've talked about it, some mm. teams have had to travel tens of thousands of kilometres, yeah. go play in places like Baku, where it is 30 degrees at 10 p.m. at night, and you have no fans, and it's miserable. Mm-hmm. And the travel... 100% contributes to a kind of cellular level of fatigue that you might not even engage with, but that is going to definitely impact your play. And whether it's staying in hotels or not liking the food or not being able to train at the same times every day, it definitely, countries that have had to travel more must have been at a greater disadvantage. Mm. I'm not saying that, you know, the French team would have stayed unified if they hadn't squabbled over the various Marriotts that they were put in, which, <laughs> which unfortunately they did because they're used to an extra level of sort of Plaza Atunez style quality. <laughs> but certainly it can't have contributed to any team that wasn't super fluid or didn't have like a great team environment. But the entire setup was dreadful and unfair. Yeah. So to have played six out of seven games at home for England it's really lucky it probably took a fair amount of bribes and kickbacks but UEFA is bribes and kickbacks A and B there is a a certain level of randomness to the draw so just as some teams can be really out of proportion disadvantaged we have been out of proportion advantaged And it's a similar kind of, like, fortune. Mm. And and that, you know, we... The world, the non-UEFA world, did try and change the setup. The setup would have been bollocks if it hadn't been a global pandemic. But the setup of having the Euros all across these different European capitals had been in place for sort of four or five years before. Mm-hmm. And they had the opportunity to to change it as, as close to the start of the tournament as in April when they took they took venues away from Dublin and I also think um, there were going to be some in Portugal that they took away. And they did change it up and they, mm. you know, they refunded tickets. Um, maybe it was Bilbao in Spain. And there were changes to venues. And I don't know if you remember, but there was also like, oh, it might come and be in England all the time because we were doing so well with the vaccine. Yes. It was pre-Delta variant days. Those heady days. And, you know, who knows, 67,000 people in Wembley last (laughs) Tuesday. So what Delta variant? (laughs) But, um, But they clearly had the opportunity to to think about it and change it but they didn't want to it was too it was too financially advantageous and the kind of final nail in the coffin for me on just you know what a kind of disturbing thing this whole setup was and how it is unfair that it's been allowed to happen but I don't know why it can be placed at the blame of these Brexiteer English people Um, but the UEFA president um, Alexander Seferin he said, I wouldn't support it anymore. In a way, it's not correct that some teams have to travel more than 10,000 kilometers. It's an interesting idea, 
but it is hard to implement and I don't think we'll do it again. The fact that they can't even stand by it, like this is UEFA, they're all lizard people. Like they can't, they don't even have the balls to be like, oh, it was so interesting to engage so many different types of football fans to yeah. show that it truly is an international game. Some bollocks like that. The fact that they have disavowed it is just so depressing mm -hmm. and shameless because they it was such an irresponsible idea from like a health perspective and then it's turned out to be super knackering on the teams just on a base kind of fitness and performance yeah. level so misadventure to the tune of i don't know how many billions oh god so many billions no i agree and i think that um sort of i think it's if it hadn't, I I wonder if it hadn't been England who played most of their games at home and it had been like, you know, I don't know, Sweden or Scotland, you know, a country that people like. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if there would have been so much kickback to this, you know, because once people started noticing that England were playing a lot of their games at home and would continue to do so and they continue to get through it does throw up a lot of resentment which and then people just complained about things that um you know they saw as an unfair advantage and you know maybe it was but I think it's been blown out of proportion. It's bonkers to me. I think they would have had gripes in the same way that losers will always have. The haters and losers will always have their gripes. Absolutely. And this setup does kind of architects itself to to support gripes. But people, mm. as you say, I think people can really enjoy it if it is a country that they are game to to dislike. Mm. Like I don't know if they would pull this shit against you know. Denmark. Exactly. Everyone loves the Danes. But something else that I think people are forgetting is we went into this tournament as ranked fourth best in the world. I don't know how they came up with it and I certainly didn't believe it and I may not believe it until we win later tonight. <laughs> However, we went in as one of the favourites. Mm. You know, the other... We didn't meet the favourites, Belgium. We The second favourites, France, totally capitulated. That was entirely... If they could blame aeroplanes, they would. But it was bad personalities that lost them their match against Switzerland. Mm -hmm. So, it... And, and, you know, all of the other highly ranked teams have actually made it to appropriate stages before, surprise, surprise, it being football... And things weren't as predictable as maybe they would have wanted. But it, England in the final, unfortunately, makes perfect sense. Mm. So to act as if this is a gift that has been handed to the loathed and undeserving is mean-spirited, to say the least. I agree. I think it's, it is fairly, it's fairly malicious. And we're not here for that at 110%. You're not here for that. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not here for it against England. <laughs> Speaking of mean-spirited, let's move on to the contentious penalty, as alluded to earlier. Oh. So, for those of you who 
we're not doing the bloody patriotic thing and watching England on Wednesday. The second goal was garnered after Raheem Sterling went down from a tackle inside the box. Harry Kane takes the penalty. Casper Schmeichel, despite being set on by laser pointers, <laughs> saves the penalty but doesn't catch it. It rebounds out and then Harry Kane scores from open play. The issue with the penalty, because that sounds pretty morally defensible, I hear you say, if there was an issue with the penalty. It sounds like Mm. the goal was scored in open play. However, (laughs) the reason why it has raised eyebrows in all of the, you know, morally superior football fans of Europe is because the touch that Raheem Sterling got is pretty light. And I think for about... 75% of people and 100% of people who aren't English, it's not a penalty. The referee immediately calls it as a penalty. It is then checked by VAR and confirmed a penalty, but at no point does the referee check the little monitor. Hey, I have an amazing idea. Tell me. They mount the monitor to the tiny car... Oh, that's genius. And they just drive the tiny car out on to the pitch. For those of you who aren't as informed on the tiny car, the tiny car actually made a reappearance in the Spain-Italy match. And if the tiny car is at Wembley tonight, I will cry. I can't wait to see the tiny car. The tiny car is my favourite player. The t- Golden boot for the tiny car. Golden boot. The tiny car accepts the golden boot on behalf of Own Goal. (laughs) Own Goal, who has now scored 11 times in the tournament, making him the highest scoring player in the tournament. Oh, Own Goal is a man, is it? I, funnily enough, I just thought I should have, I should have they them Own Goal. (laughs) Whatever. Uh, The tiny car is definitely a woman. I the tiny car so she is accepting it on behalf of them exactly carrying the game on her back so as you can imagine everyone already wants England suspended from the final for just being nasty rotters (laughs) and the contentious penalty is just another another brick in that particular wall and it is unsatisfying because, like we said, England were the best team. Mm-hmm. They could have won four one, but they didn't. They yeah. they won from an own goal and from a bomb penalty that I wouldn't stand up in a court of law and say was a penalty. I was surprised that my nemesis Peter Walton thought it was a penalty, but that obviously means that it wasn't because he's always wrong. Peter Walton is the worst person on on. The commentary box. Curse you, Peter Walton. Yeah. I've heard he has a podcast. What? No. I bet it's more popular than ours. Oh my god, that's not possible. We won't be hearing from Peter Walton tonight because he's ITV only. Thank God for that. It's so annoying. It's like the double-edged sword of ITV. It's like they have Emma Hayes, Mm -hmm. but they also have Peter Walton. So what can you do? God. But as you all know... I consider diving part of my beautiful game. In the words of Nancy Del Olio, I have always taken a pro diving position because I believe football is richest 
in its textures when it's a sort of booyah base of name calling and cynical fouls and diving and all of the different pieces that I think make up a modern football match. Mm. So tell me, how... Ex- explain to me then um, <laughs> how you see diving as being part of the rich tapestry of football. Because today, penalties are not given if you don't go down and stay down. Whether someone came at you with an axe oh. or whether you, you know... A butterfly, you know, landed on your toe cap and you, you think, oh, my beautiful foot, and you kind of fall to the ground. You actually, if you if you got up and shake yourself off, the appeals for penalties, warranted or unwarranted, it's likely that it's just going to be kind of pushed aside because mm-hmm. you kind of do need to get the referee's attention and assert yourself in that way. So it has, because of that, and... In many ways, this is maybe something VAR could be changing. But that's still not how it's used because VAR is the enemy. So, as it stands, to appear... To to get your penalty, you must appear hurt. I'm not saying, you know, I want to see triple somersaults in the air. (laughs) You know, if a player looks at you, you go down easy, easy. And actually, there was a really funny moment in the Italy-Spain game where I think it was um, Bonucci went down, like, with a light press, falls to the floor. My leg, my leg. They might have to amputate. And then five seconds later, a goal is scored. He jumps up, celebrates, and... (laughs) One of one of the Italy players was like, "Well, you know, there's nothing like a goal to raise your spirits." So fingers crossed that NHS will start prescribing <laughs> national team goals to cure ailing patients. <laughs> so, okay, we must exercise a little bit of nuance here. It's not as black and white as you know. Everyone who falls down should you know, is doing a good thing, but I also Mm. don't think everyone who goes down easy is doing a bad thing. Right. It's playing to win, and actually if someone steps on your toe and you go down in a kind of funny way, that's that's a justifiable penalty. You don't need to break the leg. It doesn't need to be that much of an obstructive tackle. You're aware. You might have been able to stagger to your feet, but actually, tactically... It might not have been as sure a thing, so you kind of take your chance. And I think it it happens. It is not like... I Weird thing. I've never seen this film. I think about it all the time. The Invention of Lying. I've never seen it either. I've never... Why would I ever see it? It's a Ricky Gervais film. I would never see that, but... Oh, no, I, I have seen it. Yes, I have, but ages ago. So it's... It. All I've, I mean, I think I've only read the logline, so it's about a world of truth and then someone starts lying, right? Yes, exactly. I often think about it. Anyway, it's not that universe where there is one team diving mm-hmm. and one team is being cynical and everyone is saying, 
Oh god, it is funny that they get a lot of penalties. I mean, that is Manchester United. But <laughs> apart from that, this is how it's not encouraged, but it is not you know, it's it's not something that managers will be like and you're benched if you do this. Yeah. So, it happens and there have been all sorts of contentious decisions that have gone against England. So we have the hand of God, Maradona's volleyball. That was redeemed by the most beautiful goal of all time, but it was no less. The hand of God, I still can't even think about. So, hand of God, cover your ears. The ghost goal against Germany that we talked yes. about, where it was over the line. You know, sort of. There is a cynicism. I think when you're getting to this kind of international stage mm-hmm. in a tournament. So it happened. It happened. You can't turn back the clock. Exactly. Just to briefly talk about Maradona, I I suddenly realised the other day that he he's not alive to see England in the final. And <laughs> and that I'm sure he is looking from wherever he is and thinking... How dare you God. not assume that he is in heaven? <laughs> he's looking, looking down on us from on high. I'll tell you what's going to happen today in heaven. He's going to take afternoon tea with Tom Moore. And they're going to get into a huge argument. Oh my God. Yes. They're going to watch the match together. Ex- oh God, that's so sweet. But he, I wonder what he'd say. He'd probably be telling everyone who'll listen that England are the worst and they don't deserve it and come on Italy. He, he does love Italy. Mm. He, does, he does love Italy, but from a national team perspective, Italy, not the biggest fans of his. Ah. From when he um, dumped out Italy. As part of the Argentinian team in yes. Italia 90. Unfortunately, a home match that they were supposed to win. So who can blame them for being <laughs> upset about <laughs> about too many home games when they couldn't win their home <laughs> semi-final against Argentina in Italia 90. So, this afternoon, let's think of the teams head-to-head. Mm-hmm. So, who is your England player to watch today? Who do you think is going to be sneaking around the Italians? My favourite has been Saka, because I think he is truly incredible. I mean, he's so fast. He's so good on the ball. But he's also a very, very selfless player in that he passes so much and he assists in so many goals. Um, particularly in the game against Denmark, where he passed, well, meant to be to Raheem Sterling, but unfortunately for Denmark, uh, Kiea was... Kiea? Kiea? I think it's Kiea. Oh, God, I've been pronouncing the J all the time. I kind of like it, though. Oh, it wow. sounds more authentic. Kiea. 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 The most handsomest <laughs> of all of the Danes. He is so handsome. Anyway, um, so unfortunately for Denmark, Kerr um, was in the was forced into the wrong place and uh, did an own goal. But um, I love Saka. Also, he's so young and he's very smiley 
Um, and I think he's got a lovely heart. So Saka has been my one to watch. Saka is definitely the runner-up of the Jack Grealish Personality of the Year Award. The Miss Congeniality oh Prize is going to be tied between Jack Grealish, People's Princess, who just yesterday said that if England win, he's off to Vegas and never coming back, which I think will thrill the paymasters at Manchester City who are hoping to buy him for £100 million over the summer. Um, but you can take your £100 million pep and put it all on red for jack Grealish is gonna be at caesar's palace getting a fucking pina colada whilst nobody understands his accent i love him so much anyway so saka is super magnetic person Mm -hmm. every interview just incredibly endearing Mm. super smart so many more um high grade gcses for me and so the opposite of Grealish. <laughs> not the brain of Britain. Not the, not the brain of Britain, but he's, you know. There are other qualities. Exactly, exactly. And he has lots of them. He has lots of them. He has really pretty eyes. <laughs> nice cheeky grin. Exactly. Fast feet. Fast feet in mismatching slippers. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Saka, Saka is... The reason why I think that Saka is starting over Foden in that position is because he also has, I think, more of the defensive ability that Foden doesn't have in spades as much as as Saka does in the position. So hopefully he will start today. So young to be starting in, in an England final. So that would be amazing. That would be so, so good. I think, I I think the team at the moment is is so good and and I was actually talking to my dad the other day about how football has changed um from and how particularly people have always said that the Premier League is sort of too much made up of you know foreign footballers and then when it comes to choosing the national team there is no one there to pick from um but I just I think it's such a good thing um, for the Premier League, which is arguably the best league in the world. I mean... Premier, baby. Premier. Um, and I think it forced, it has forced the kind of academies in the UK to really, um, you know, pull their socks up. And so you get little, little Mason Mount, little Ben Chilwell coming out of the academies and being on the England team in their early, very, very early 20s. And so I think it's it's such a good thing. And, you know, the Premier League is not meant to be a an English league. It's meant to reflect the country, which is incredibly multicultural. And I'm just feeling a lot of love at the moment, Tamara. And I just... <laughs> That I'm I'm so happy to hear it because obviously that did start off as quite a they're coming over here they're and taking our jobs taking our jobs <laughs> no and I think it's just they can you can have a very multicultural multi ethnic Premier League as well as having a good national team like I don't think that those two things can't exist totally and, and I also don't know how I suddenly started talking about this. 
but I think it began because of I was thinking of Mason Mount and Ben Chilwell, who also are some of my faves. It's it's making everyone emotional. I think by the end of the episode, one or both of us may have cried. Yeah. Whilst singing the national anthem into the ear dog of a British bulldog. Ear dog? <laughs> ear dog. <laughs> or the new what do you think of the atomic kitten? Uh, redo. Oh, I loved hearing again. you screeching it at uh, <laughs> quarter to midnight last night. Oh god! When I came back from drinks, loved oh, that. I god. think the rest of the street loved that as well. <laughs> oh god! The Italians across the road <laughs> certainly did not. <laughs> that's that's a good point. That's maybe why they were so suspicious of us. It wasn't just the noise complaint. It was uh, the beginning of a blood a grievance. <laughs> But um, yeah, no, I, I, I completely, completely agree with you. I think it is such a, such a happy team, which we've spoken of before, but I was really reminded of this when Steve Holland, who is the assistant coach, was asked who his you know, player of the tournament in the England team was. And he said, Connor Cody who plays for Wolves. And Connor Cody is one of the five England players that hasn't yet done a minute on the pitch. And he said, this is because those five players have managed to keep a consistency of spirit and attitude that has such a positive impact on the team and leads no one to believe that they are in any way upset which they would be justified to be or feeling put out or feeling oppositional because of not having been selected in the tournament and that's obviously such a positive thing to hear and it also Mm. speaks to just how the England team all aspects of it just have us wrapped around their little finger from a media perspective because it's like I don't know who the PR bitch that cooked that lineup is exactly but I would do anything give them a raise my god I think it's the anti-France because we all like each other yeah (laughs) and respect authority exactly (laughs) exactly and you don't have someone coming back after being told you know they'll never play for France again Italy do have this as well. Italy are a team of well-bonded players who know each other, like each other. They've all received their double vaccines together. They they play together as a team very well and definitely understand the, the impact of being the Azzurri instead of individual stars or players. And Roberto Mancini has managed to get that balance, I think, exactly right, of being like, it's an honour to play on your team and everyone should kind of have fun doing it as well. Something admirable that Mancini has done, he has done actually a lot of very cute things from looking sharp in his Armani pinstripe to inviting football BFF Gianluca Vialli to be the chief delegate just after he got out of remission for pancreatic cancer. But the thing that I think is super cute is he actually, in his substitutions, this of course does speak to kind of Italy's success in the tournament. I don't think someone who wasn't in kind of a rarefied position could do this, but he has been subbing on 
slightly more left field substitutions with greater kind of regularity, particularly in the group stages, to make sure that every player on the squad gets minutes. So I think it was in the penultimate group stage game that they had. He subbed off the goalkeeper, Don Rama, who was like this incredible sort of Caesar coins, six foot five giant who is basically infallible and there's actually no way we're going to score if we go into penalties. So fingers crossed that doesn't happen. But, you know, subbed him off, which is kind of unthinkable. Just so the other goalkeeper could say, if Italy wins the Euros, that he played, he had minutes on on the pitch. Which is very sentimental. Yes. More of this excellent narrative. So Italy, I would say, has the third best narrative. Okay, tell me your first, presumably first is Denmark. First is Denmark. Mm -hmm. I think England, actually, obviously this is, as an English person, you should actually not really think that anyone kind of has a better narrative than England, (laughs) just because of the way it's been set up with the pandemic, with the Gareth Southgate, with all of these children. It's been managed so well. Yeah. So, but Italy, I think, fabulous narrative. Fabulous narrative. It's great that Spain didn't get through because they have a dog shit narrative. Well, but maybe that would have been easier to beat. This is possible. Mm. Their only narrative was they didn't have any Real Madrid players. (laughs) (laughs) That's uh, not enough. One thing they had going for them. (laughs) Um, So what are your predictions then, Tamara? If I were to be, you know, William Hill, other betting uh, apps are available and we also don't uh, encourage betting here at 110% but when the fun stops stop stop exactly but we could do with some of that betting money though yeah that's true yeah I'm thinking a thousand to one (laughs) (laughs) so what are your predictions what do we think in terms of corners goals cards oh you shouldn't have set my kryptonite (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Listeners, my kryptonite is corners and cards. She loves them. You won't catch me making a bet for lesser <laughs> odds than 150 to 1. And it's usually a number of different variables, including sort of over 11 cards, <laughs> over 26 corners. And surprise, surprise, I still can't pay for a second microphone on this podcast. <laughs> um, okay, so my, predict- my score prediction is 3-2 to England. Nice. Okay. I think it is going to be a goal fest. I think mm-hmm. Jordan Pickford's due some slip ups, mm. and both teams, I think, will be allowed off the leash to maybe score a few more goals and mm-hmm. let it be more creative. I think something that modern football is maybe nervous of is the cagey final where it ends nil nil. Yeah. So I think it's going to be three two to England. I think there are going to be loads of cards because the cards have all reset. Oh. So it's a card bonanza. Nobody can get suspended anymore. So it's going to be cards, cards, cards. That old man, Cialini, he's going to have punched someone by the end of the night. (laughs) (laughs) He is 45. He honestly looks 45. You know the, uh, the... joined ages between him and Bonucci, the other centre-back, who he says he knows more than his wife. And we all know what that means. Call me by your name. <laughs> anyway, their combined age is 70. Stop it. 
The old head's in the bag. So something I noticed when I was watching the Italy-Spain game is the starting team that Italy puts out kind of looks like a Milanese prep school. Like everyone has really neat um, sort of side partings. Mm-hmm. They've Chestnut got skin, mm-hmm. beautiful brown eyes. And then eventually, and there's a couple of aberrations. Chiellini obviously looks like an ape. Um, but as, as they make the substitutions, it starts to look more and more like a rough gang of ultras from Campania <laughs> who like after a tiring day at the docks you know buy some heroin and get in a fight and then eat a pizza so it's it's um it's it goes from naught to intimidating quite quickly which is really amusing I have no idea what I was saying loads of cards loads of cards loads of cards loads of cards yellows reds orange <laughs> blue Ooh. Red card in a final. When was the last time there was a red card in like a really important tournament final? Ooh. That would be interesting to know. Yeah. Well, listeners, you need to tune in next week and we're going to tell you. So I think there's going to be a couple of yellows. Mm-hmm. Couple of yellows. Couple of yellows. Couple I, of corners. I think we're not going to see the corners the like that I would perhaps want. I see. I think we might see... Do you think we might finally see a Grealish goal? Do you think all roads of gassing him up for four weeks and just watching his fucking tiny socks run around the pitch, making assists and falling over? Yeah. Is leading up to Grealish scoring the winning goal so that people can go absolutely fucking nuts and the number of memes on the internet will just... Multiplied to the size of (laughs) unfathomable quantities. Oh my god. I I hope we get a Grealish goal. I want I want a Grealish goal. I want some unusual goals. I want a Grealish goal and I want a Mason Mount goal. I think we'll see a Harry Maguire header again. Oh, that was a dream. I think that's definitely that's that's coming. And what's your score prediction? My score prediction is four two. Four two to England. Yeah. Okay, four two. You're getting shades of the uh Shades of 66. Yeah, I'm... I'm thinking 4-2. I think that someone's going to be sent off. If we win 4-2, I'm never going on holiday again. They will close the border to every single... Let's not make it an undignified win. Exactly. I want to go on holiday. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But will you want to leave this green and pleasant land if we win the Euros? 100%. I'm sorry. Will you be happy here in the place where they won the Euros? Plague Island plus trophy. (laughs) No, I'll want to go spread the gospel of Jack Grealish to all of the other countries. Travel around saying... Have you heard about Jack Grealish? His beautiful cockatoo locks and his brainless visage. (laughs) So before we go, and you can start getting in the mood for the final, I know Mm -hmm. that you've listened to this and now feel adequately prepared to sing in full voice all of the different legendary songs Mm -hmm. in the name of England this evening I just want to recommend a piece of avant-garde cinema that uh, surprisingly has not been picked up as a short film in this year's Cannes Film Festival taking place now but I'm sure that a finer short film will not be made all year 
and I'm going to put the link in our show notes for this episode. Excellent. This is the 13 minutes of England stars getting ready for their photo shoot in their MS suits. It's a deeply, deeply surrealist work in which a voiceless cameraman follows around all of the England stars as they attempt to put on ties, oh. walk around in their boxes, try on blazers, try and fit their feet into brown tight leather shoes, oh. and generally peacock and look awkward for 13 minutes, which is actually an obscene length. Once you look at the content, you think, wow, there's so much richness here that's insane this is a two this could have been two minutes but it, the fact that the director cut it to 13 minutes means there's definitely a, a deeper meaning that i'm still i'm still looking for <laughs> lucky number 13 it's truly art and i highly recommend that everyone watch it just to see jack Grealish calling boyako saka a science teacher and everyone looking like they're putting on school uniform. Oh. It's actually fascinating to see how like 75% of them are putting on school uniform and then like the remaining 25% just look like old PE teachers. <laughs> and like, of course, none of these children can do their ties. So like Jordan Henderson, an old head aged 31 has to go around being like, this is how you do a tie. Oh. I know you're gonna you're gonna absolutely die I really will I love this sort of thing my god I can't wait to watch it I'll be having it on a loop for the rest of the afternoon until the game so we wish our boys luck for mm. this evening I am hoping that our Euro season finale next week is not just us having to eat crow and talk about how impressive the Italians were. I hope that we're just singing and gloating for like an hour and a half. Yeah. I think, well, best of luck to our boys. Who are listening. Who are listening and good luck to their erstwhile leader, Gareth Southgate. And tune in next time and enjoy the match.